always depended on the kindness of strangers. All right, so he's not a regular rat or, or even a super rat. He's a scared little mouse, that's all. Welcome to The Real Woman, a podcast focused on all things cinematic. My guest this evening is filmmaker James Spooner. James, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, James, so the focus of tonight's episode will be on the documentary you directed in 2003 uh, named Afropunk, but... Before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you uh, got into punk and how this whole thing sort of came about? Uh, sure. So um, let's see the conversation around how I got into punk. Um, I'm actually making a graphic novel about that very year. Um, started in 1989 um, in a small town in California. And um, I think I had what could be considered like the perfect storm of elements that led me into the punk scene. Um, I, like I said, live in this small town. I'm biracial black person, and there are very few black people in the town. Um, my parents were to get, weren't together, so I was being raised by my mom alone. Um, you know, general, like, recipe for teenage angst. Um, And the music and the lyrics and whatnot were really just uh, spoke to me in a way that I could really relate to. Um, Shortly after that, I moved, like a year later, I moved to New York, and that's when I found, like, the real DIY punk scene and really, um, like, embraced all the things that come with, with like punk values, with like uh, the ethics and morals, and and again like that whole DIY mentality, which um, you know I embraced full force, and you know made a made zines and had a record label and had a distro table, and were just totally like involved in putting together shows and all that kind of stuff, which like all set the stage for me um, making this film. In 2000, uh, it started in 2001 when I really just wanted to uh, critique the punk scene for like the um, the missing politics that were directly related and important to to my life. So um, so I set about making this film and it took a couple years and you know it came out and the rest is history. <laughs> Um, now, I love the quote at the beginning of the movie that you have there, um, a, sort of about the outside, uh, being on the outside of society and, and who you were dedicating this film to. Can you uh, speak a little bit about that and why you chose that quote and uh, how you felt it connected to the film? Sure. So the beginning of the film... Um... I'm paraphrasing, but it says, um, 
you know, in the in the late 1970s, a young white poet wrote a uh, song called "Rock and Roll Nigger," and um, and it it detailed the um, it detailed her it, it made the comparison of her being a woman to uh, in the in the in the you know male dominated rock world yeah. to that of the black experience, and um, I. Uh, kind of took exception to that. I mean, I, I, I very much understand and, and uh, get the, that the women's uh, struggle is, is uh, you know, super authentic and, and happening. But um, I don't think it's fair to compare. Um, sort of a oppression. false equivalent. Yeah, so I just... Um, so in it, it, it says... Uh, you know, the lyrics go on to say outside of society, that's where I want to be. And there's like an underline under want. Um, this is dedicated to every black person who's ever been called a nigger and every white person who thinks they know what that means. And um, in that, I basically included basically every black American. Yeah. And um, and then who I thought the filmmaking, the, the film, the white film viewing audience would be, which was a lot of like um, politically correct um, uh, white folks. And I wanted to get them prepared for like, um, this is going to uh, shake up your identity or something, you know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it almost, it really does feel like the, almost like the the thesis of the film, you know, the the sort of underlying, not even underlying, but theme of the film, um, because it definitely came up again and again with people who you spoke to in, in terms of their identity. And and uh, there were a number of people who talked about how they had wanted to be white at one point, and because of this music, and they, they wanted... Um, but that that how that had changed, and that they, you know, a lot of many of them were embracing uh, being black and what that meant. Um, it was I I I thought it was very interesting that a lot of the pushback that they got was actually less from white people and more from other black people, their friends and family. Could you talk about that a little bit? And was that something that you experienced in your life when you uh, moved into punk music? That 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 black, other black people you knew felt like that wasn't, you know, correct or appropriate. Well, okay, so I, I yes, that's true. Um, and I, you know, I I, I don't want to lead the listener um, to believe that white people were left off the hook in this. In this no, movie. no, um, they're not. It, it's really um, everybody is addressed, and but a very common um, experience is that um, there is like a um, the the white punk community is you know embracing the black alternative kid um, because they are just looking for more members for their like community. And uh, meanwhile, the black community at large sees um, sees black people who who uh, step outside of the box um, as 
as someone who is um, challenging the community or is or is like threatening to leave, you know. And and you know, I very I really understand where um, the black community comes comes from with that uh, with that assertion, you know, because we have a long history of of black people um, passing in in our through our yeah you know in, in our in our in our history, and you know it it's a it's a way of of checking you know each other saying like oh you're into that thing that's that's white um you must be you know trying to leave us and the you know therefore the black people who are um you know interested in whatever is considered white would you know have to then answer like no no i'm not you know like whatever um it's it's like a psychological game but when you're a kid going through this it doesn't you know, I, I certainly wasn't like evolved enough to understand where that like animosity was coming from. Right. I was just hearing black kids say, "Oh, you're trying to be white," and like want to beat me up. Um, meanwhile, there is like all these white kids over here who are like ready to take me in. You know. Right. So, um, yeah. So, so uh, you know, it it, it it's definitely a, a common occurrence. It's also very complicated, um, and I try. I tried my best within the, the limitations of the um, the time in the film to like address all of these things that people are going through and and make and really at the end of the day make the um, black viewers um, who are who have had this experience this rock and roll nigger experience you know like feel validated um, as black people and they, and then at the same time giving them a uh like almost like a manifesto to you know to to share with their family you know so that they might understand like what they're going through right and and you know and it's interesting because as you said you do not um l white people don't get off the hook either there and there's definitely uh the sentiment of um one lady talked about uh tokenism and and the there was there seemed to be a, a real sense of almost like we're interested in you because you're black but at the same time we don't want you to talk about the fact that you're black one thing i've learned over my lifetime of having friends of having white friends is like the best way to lose your white friends is to remind them that they're white and um <laughs> You know, and when you when you when you're a when you're a person of color who is like um, has pride and has some like consciousness of like what it means to be a person of color in this country, and you also have white friends, it's difficult to just like keep your mouth shut about the things that are like you know like you want to be able yeah. to just talk as you would talk with anyone, right? Um, but it is uncomfortable sometimes to have those kind of conversations. Um, you don't have shared experiences. Yeah, and they're not like, you know, it, it, I try to relate to this experience like, you know, I'm a cisgender man and um, it is, and I am 
100% comfortable talking to women about how, um, like, what it, hearing from them what their experience is like as a woman or with um, gay people telling me what their experience is like. You know, like, I'm not yeah. threatened by that. Yeah. Um, but a, a lot of people are threatened by hearing what it's like to be a person of color. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, we as a culture have to get over and we have, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of baggage in there, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so you started this movie, you started working on it in 2001. Correct. And, and everyone who you spoke to, were these friends? Did you know all these people or was it like a word of mouth? Like you would interview one person and then they'd say, oh, you should meet this other person? Or how did that, uh, how did that work out? Uh, well, I started with, with people that I knew um, and friends of friends. Uh, I was in New York, so it, you know, it was fairly easy to find like, you know, my first round of people to interview. Right. Um, and then I had, to, I had to go to the internet, which, you know, in 2001, it was like dial-up and... Yes. Um, it was very you know, primitive. There were no social, there's no, yeah, there was no social media. So I was like on message boards and, you know, just basically asking the two questions, like, who is the black person in your punk scene? And like, can you name uh, punk and hardcore bands with black members? And between those two questions, I was like finding people and then reaching out to them and telling them about the project and basically like putting together like a map um, for what would be like a road trip to interview all of these people. Uh, and, and so the two years, it, it was actually finished in 2003 and that's the year it premiered. You started, how did you start, how'd you get the film out and how did people first start seeing the movie? Um, well, I started, um, with film festivals and I really didn't know like what I was doing or anything, but I just submitted to like a couple of film festivals. Um, and I started with the black one cause I figured I'd have a fighting chance. And, um, and I got into a couple of like pretty reputable ones. And, um, at the American black film festival, uh, there was a, a curator from Toronto, um, international who, uh, decided to show it at Toronto. And then once that happened, like the door was kicked, like wide open for, for film festivals. Um, and then at the same time, um, I was doing, I was doing press. Um, I had been getting press while making it. So people were kind of like becoming aware and I was keeping a list and whatever. And, um, like I was just putting, helping people across the country put, put together like DIY screenings. Um, universities were also showing it. So it was, it was, you know, in the large part, it was just like kids in different parts of the country who were like, I really want to see this movie. And uh, how do how do I see it? And I was like, well, you could put a screening on, you know, and, you know, so I basically toured it like a band, you know, that's really inventive. It's actually an ingenious idea. Um, well, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I can't take credit. It was just, I just did what, what punk rock taught me. You right. Know? The, the, you had a, you had a do it yourself mentality. 
yeah, this is the only it's the only mentality I come with. So, <laughs> you know. Um. So have you um have you stayed in touch with the people who in these in the movie? Um, like a handful of them, yeah. Uh, I, like two the two two protagonists, Mo uh, Mitchell and Samar Kali, are are two of my best friends now, um, who I both met while making the movie. Um, and uh, you know, there's like a handful of like what I call the chorus, the you know the, the of the 80 people who I, um, you know, I see on Facebook or I like see when I go to New York or whatever, you know. And are they all still, as far as you know, are they all still in the scene? Well, I mean, I think that some, some of them are definitively like lifers and will, you know, still will always be in bands and put on shows or go to shows or whatever. Um, others like get old and have kids and like, you know, hopefully take their, the, the DIY like mentality and the, the ethics and morals that they, that they gained from the punk scene and like apply them to their lives as adults. Um, and, you know, and that, that's certainly the case with, with the, the people that I keep in touch with. Um, and what, how, what was the process for you? I mean, did you, at the end of the, the, at the end of everything, did you feel like you had learned something or what did you, what do you feel like you personally got out of it? Well, I mean, yeah, I was doing that pro Like I, I started the project, um, in the midst of an identity crisis and like as a biracial person who like was primarily hanging around white people, I, what you know at, at that moment i was like asking myself what the hell was i doing like maybe all those people who said i was trying to be white maybe they were right like you know i was i had a lot of questions of my own and and i didn't necessarily feel like i knew what i meant to be a black person and it was through making the film and talking to all of these people and then subsequently showing the film and talking to totally mainstream black people or people who I thought were totally mainstream, did I realize um, that uh, there is no one unique black, I mean, one black experience, and that, like, um, my experience is a valid black experience, and it's one that many black people um, experience. So it was very, like, validating for me, and um, I can say that, like, psychologically it's one of the places where I in my life like did the work and got over it you know right right you know it's very interesting I did a, a previous episode with uh, DJ Rob Swift and mm -hmm. we uh, talked about the film the, the early 80s film Wild Style okay uh, and and during the conversation, he talked about how, you know, the, many of the hip-hop or some of the hip-hop uh, performers went, moved down to the Lower East Side, into the village. And because mm -hmm. they saw, uh, and this is what made me, think of, made me think of it while I was watching your film, they saw a connection between hip-hop and punk, that, that they were similar dressed, um, and a similar, 
I don't say viewpoint, but but that the music came from a similar place, uh, you know, a place of oppression and 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 marginalization. Um, did you did you feel that that there was a connection? It seemed um, some. I feel like I remember someone in the movie talking about that, uh, about how they had friends who were into hip hop who then ended up getting into punk, and that they could see the comparisons between the two yeah i mean you know in the there's obvious like aesthetic um similarities from the early 80s late 70s early 80s where people were wearing like spikes and and all of that kind of stuff um leather or whatever but i think that like on a deeper level um when the more I learn about underground culture, the more I realize how similar they are. You know, whether we're talking about uh, Detroit techno or Chicago house or um, hip hop in New York or punk rock in New York, like the thing that all of these things have in common is that these are like largely um, poor working class kids who are not, who do not feel the mainstream is representing them. And, um, in, in their, in, in their own ways, they're creating, they're organically creating a, uh, music sound and, and movement that is like meant to, um, fill a void that the mainstream is not catering to. And just like what happened with um, hip hop, uh, techno, and uh, to a lesser degree house, but you know, and with uh, punk rock, and with Afro punk, um, as a as a as a brand, I suppose, like capitalism gets its hooks in, and um, and basically swallows it up, leaving the people who started it feeling like they don't have a place anymore um yeah. again re-marginalizing the marginalized you know right, right. so um yeah, you know that that's not a um that's not something that's like unique to punk and hip-hop i think that's that's like grassroots movements that are successful enough to be noticed by the mainstream um, one of the women who I, in, in the documentary that I found very interesting was Mariko. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, I found her very interesting for a number of reasons. One of them was her talking about um, relationships that she had had, that she hadn't dated black men, she'd only dated white men, and that her, but that she seemed to have a, a wide variety, you know, variety of ethnicities as friends. Um, but that, like, being black or being Asian was, while it was important to her, it wasn't, I don't want to say she didn't see color, but it didn't, it wasn't something she thought about. Like, it wasn't part of her daily life that it, you know, uh, and it, it, it was interesting because it sort of juxtaposed other people you spoke to for whom it was a daily struggle, and it was something that they dealt with on a daily basis. Um, could you talk about that a little bit and how, how uh, it seemed like even the people in your documentary had sort of different views on 
their blackness and and what and how it, what it meant to them and what it meant to them, you know, with regards to their the friends, their spouses, the 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 scene in general. Sure, sure. Um, well, the thing, like, I knew that I would find someone like Mariko before I met her, um, and someone who had a very like complex and sometimes disturbing um, view of of blackness. Um, and I knew that that person existed because there was a time in my life where I felt that way. Um, and the, the, I think it's, it's important to make the distinction that like, you know, when we're talking about Mo or Tamar Kali, like they are, um, two black people who grew up in, um, in New York with lots of black people around. Um, Mo went to Howard, you know, like there's, you know, yeah. there's, there's blackness all around them, uh, in a positive, you know, in both positive and negative ways, you know, yeah. it's a, yeah. it's a full, a full spectrum of humanity. Right. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, Mariko, um, she didn't really have that. She was living in a wealthy, um, California um, city and um, most of her friends are white and um, you know and as a black person in that scene again if you don't challenge people's whiteness they're probably not going to break it up you know they're not going to bring up your blackness because that's uncomfortable so um, I feel like um, you know I'm I'm always quick to defend Mariko because um, a, this movie was made 15 years ago. I have no idea, like, who she is today and how she's grown. She, you know, she was right. she was in her very early 20s at that time. But also, um, you know, slight black. But also, um, because uh, I she she hadn't done that work yet. You know, I I would disagree in the fact. In the, in the statement or the idea that she doesn't deal with blackness on a daily basis, I just think that she... Well, she um, didn't acknowledge point, it at that point. Yeah, she was she was dealing it with it by ignoring it, which we know um, doesn't actually work in any yeah. circumstance, you know? So, um, you know, the it, I just thought it was important um, to have... Like my, my intention was not necessarily to have an antagonist, but it was to have like spectrum um, because I didn't want to paint this picture of like these black punks as all being like super black power, or, like like really like knowing themselves in this like uh, this you know in in this way that just w- would be you know inauthentic. Right. There's a spectrum even within this the, that punk scene. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's, I mean, if, if you are a person of color and all your friends are white, you're probably uh, going to have some internal struggle. And, you know, I was able to, I was able to show that uh, with her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I thought, I didn't see her as a villain, really. I just saw her, I thought she was interesting. I thought, I thought she, um, 
I thought that she had some, it sounded like she got some sort of, her parents maybe didn't give her the best <laughs> advice growing up. Uh, uh, and uh, Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it's like, she, you know, she, she doesn't have, she didn't at the time, she didn't have a good support system and she didn't have a lot of experience. And um, she had um, some negative views about uh, stereotypes about black people. Um, and you could hear in her tone when she's talking to me that she knows that she's not necessarily right, but she just, like, wants to... She's trying to be authentic and honest, but she also knows, like, there's almost always this question as she's saying stuff. There's like this question of like, um, you know, is what I'm saying like okay? <laughs> you know, right, right. Um, you know, and I and I was I was I tried to be careful when um, cutting her her pieces to like make sure that she didn't come off as some like arrogant anti-black whatever. You know, what I'm saying because that's yeah. not who I saw her to be. I saw her as someone who was confused and conflicted and young and um and really a a um like a victim of circumstance and that circumstance was punk rock you know yeah yeah or in or in the bigger picture is america you know and and i wanted i wanted people to see like yeah this is happening too you know right um i really i thought it was interesting that i i i Everyone, it seemed like everyone, including Mariko, had a passion for punk, and that was one of the, the words that they, they used. And I don't know of, it seems, I feel, not that that's unique to punk, but it seemed to a certain extent unique to punk in that the people involved in it were like, I don't care if I'm poor, I don't care if I'm living on the street, this is what I'm doing. Like this is my calling. And and uh, did you had, did you feel that way, or did was that something that you um, that you that you saw in in people that this was really not just about music, but it was a passion and 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 in their soul that they needed to be a part of. Yeah, for sure. I mean. It, just on, on a personal level, I mean, like, I've never made a ton of money. I mean, I, I guess as a tattooer, I at times have done all right. I've done well. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, but that, that, like, is almost like a fluke that I, like, got into this line of work. And, you know, and it's not, like, forever. And I don't have health insurance. And, you know, like, it, it, it can absolutely be washed away and, in with one one injury to my hand or whatever you know what i'm saying yeah. like it's not um you know i and i didn't go into it because um you know i thought that it would be financial financially like i just don't think about things in terms of that even though like as a parent i should or supposed to or whatever like i just am like i have to do what feels good like i feel very confident that like I'm only going to get this one time to live on this planet. And like, I don't want to spend it like doing a job that I hate so that I make money so that I can like 
take a vacation every, you know, once a year or something yeah. like, you know, and these are, these are, these are like, you could have had this, you could have heard these same words come out of my mouth when I was 15 or something. Um, so yeah, I think there's a certain person who connects with, with punk in a way that it does feel for life, you know, and, you know, does that mean that you have to end up being poor or whatever? No, but it does mean that like you kind of have to, um, prioritize, I don't know, I guess your priorities are different. It's not necessarily about money, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or, or, or I guess it maybe it shouldn't be, you know? Um, now, this, after the movie came out, you this actually was the catalyst for the Afropunk Festival, correct? Yeah. And you, you co-founded that? Yeah. Um, how did that come about? How did the, how did you go from the movie to the festival? Basically, um, I was, like I said, like we talked about before, I was screening the film a bunch. And, um, in the first year I did like a hundred screenings and for the hundredth screening, I wanted to have like an event or I wanted to. I thought it was like time. I was seeing, I was feeling like a buzz in the air and I felt like, you know what, it's time to like try to maybe turn this into something that is like, um, like maybe there could be a community built out of this or something, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I set out to like put together an event and I'd been a party promoter and DJ for, for years before that. So I was like familiar with how to like throw a party basically. So, um, you know, I, 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 I wanted to have this band perform. They're called Stift, and it, it's um, the singer is uh, Santi White, who is um, in Santa Paula. And um, she, uh, she said, "Yeah, if you want, I, I'd love to play. Just um, contact my manager to sort it out or whatever." And I did. And he is Matthew Morgan, who, um, or he was a manager now, but at the time. And he, um, he, uh, long story short, became my partner in Afropunk. And um, we started doing uh, concerts, like almost monthly. I don't even say concerts. We, we were doing shows, just like, you know, playing the movie, four bands, like a DJ, dance party. You know, it was like a very, like, um, community-based event um and we were doing that for about a year meanwhile the message board was really like taking off and um, kids from all over the country and parts of the world were starting to like uh really connect with one another and they wanted to meet so um at that same time i was talking to the brooklyn academy of music about about doing screening and they proposed doing like a black revolutionary film festival, like kind of using Afropunk name as like a, a banner or something. And we kind of, I just connected, we connected the dots and decided to put together like the first Afropunk weekend, which was basically just like three, um, three concerts, um, and four days of, of films 
and, uh, and, a, and a picnic. And, um, and that was it, you know, it was just like, a like a fun community Afropunk event series, you know, mm-hmm. that happened like, uh, consecutively over a weekend. Nice. Nice. Um, now why, I mean, I know it, why do you think that the film resonated with so many people the way it did? I mean, it really has uh, uh, garnered quite a cult following. I spoke to a few people recently who are in no way, shape, or form part of the punk scene, but they knew the movie and, and really loved the movie and, and, and um, you know, had seen it. So I, I was just wondering, how. why do you think that it connected to people so much the way it did? Well, I think that people, like, want to identify something. I think that, like, as humans, we, like, want to, like, um, be in groups. Like, we feel safe, like, in, like, knowing that we're not alone. And um, the film was one that, like, it go you know the way that it's structured, it really is just like, um, here's all of these things that like we as people of color go through. Um, now here, now on top of that, here's all these things that we as people of color go through when we choose to do stuff that is not supposed to be for us, you know? Right. And that like kind of broad, even though that's like, uh, it's it's not the broadest brush, you know? It yeah. still, like, says, like, that the people of color, that could be any people of color, right? But, and and gay people, like, it, it just is, like, it's this kind of, like, marginalized um, brush that is, like, hey, if you're marginalized and you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing because you're, like, you know, it's not, you're not a white man, then hey, guess what, like, you're not alone. And so some, and here's all the, here's the all things about our, our experience. And people gravitated towards it and were like, oh, that's, that's me. I'm seeing myself and people like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, and I thought, you know, it, it was, it was kind of challenging for me to begin with. Like, there were people like instantly who were like, oh, I'm an Afropunk, you know? And they're like, using it as an adjective, like, oh, are they all Afro-punked out? And, you know, like, whatever, they're, like, talking about using this word as, like, uh, as a label for them or as an identity for themselves. And it was never intended, like, when I, when that first started happening, I was, like, really pushing against it because I was like, dude, we're, we already have enough labels. Like, do we need to have another one? Right. Um, but I couldn't fight the, you know, people, it's like, you know, this thing is like a manifesto. It's like a thesis, you know? So people are like, yes, I relate. Call me that, you know, or like put, sign me up, put me in that box. Cause that box is described better than all these other boxes. And, um, and it, you know, and it turned out that, you know, when I would do screenings and I would, and it would be some like Chinese kids who brought me out, or some like queer organization, it was like 
oh, yeah, like, of course, this is a metaphor for something much bigger, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's, and this may sound like a sort of obvious question, but what, as we talk about labels, what is your definition of Afropunk? What is Afropunk to you? Um, it's just a movie I made, you know, and if it's not that, then it's a brand, you know, and it's a, a company, it's a corporation, a limited liability corporation, and it's a festival, you know, I, I don't think it's a scene, I don't think it's a movement, I don't even think it's a community. Um, it could have been, but it's, um, I think it's too late for that. Why is it too late for that? Um, because it's a it's it's a, it's a trademarked corporation, you know. Okay. Yeah. Like, um, you know, uh, capitalism doesn't support grassroots organizations, you know, or or grassroots communities. So, you know, in order for a scene to exist it can't have one leader. It has to have like, you know, it, it, it has to be many people who are part of like, I'm going to do a show and I'm going to do a show. We're going to do a show here. We're going to do a show there. And we're going to like meet up like outside of the um, official um, space that is held for this, um, you know, that's held by this like sanctioned group or whatever. And it's, it's just, it becomes a group of friends. That's all a scene is. It's a, it's a group of friends and, and their friends and their friends, right? Right. Um, a community is the same. Movement is the same. It's like you're moving towards something. And like um, a movement towards like making money for a couple individuals or a movement towards like um, target marketing, like that's not, that's not a movement. You know, those are just like those. Now those are just like um, catchphrases. Um, so, you know, and that's not to say that there isn't a, a that there isn't a, a black or POC um, movement within the punk scene because there is, and that is, and and that's largely started as a reaction to Afropunk, the the corporation. Yeah, you know. Um, in 2001, when I started the movie, uh, there was, there was a legitimate Latino punk scene. There was a, um, you know, there was like a Japanese punk scene. There was like, there, there were things happening, but they weren't, but there wasn't a, there wasn't a black thing. You know, there, it, it felt yeah. impossible to to imagine a like black all black mosh pit. You know, right. that was part of the punk scene. Right. Um, nowadays, that's not so crazy. You know, there are, to my knowledge, like six or seven festivals happening within the country, and then and one in London, that are all um, decidedly POC queer festivals that are totally. DIY, completely punk. There's no question about like, there's no sponsorship. There's no, it's just punk rock. And had that existed in 2001, I wouldn't have never needed to make the film. So, 
so do, do you so, feel like to, the film we'll go back to your that? question yeah well i do think it did i think that i think that the film brought light to a need it built an organic community that was swallowed up by a capitalist machine and the people who who um the people who it was intended for were gentrified out but the next generation was like well we don't even need that. We can do our own thing. And simultaneously, without having a conversation with each other, they each on their own started their own festival or their own, you know, uh, series and whatever. So, so no, I would like to believe that there are scenes happening. Um, it's just not called Afropunk because Afropunk is a trademarked organization. I mean, it's not an organization, a trademarked um, corporation. Um, you know, it's interesting because I I looked at Wikipedia, I looked at I looked it up on Wikipedia because you know that's the source of all truth, and <laughs> and uh, I I found they they have a definition of Afropunk that I thought was a little. Um, I don't know if condescending is the word, but it just seemed their their definition, Wikipedia's definition of Afropunk says that it Afropunk refers to the participation of African Americans and other black people in punk and alternative subcultures, especially in the United States, where this scene has been overwhelmingly white. And I thought I, participation seemed I didn't like that word because because afterwards they ne- they mentioned you know notable bands like the Dead Kennedys and Fishbone and uh I thought you know I don't think of Fishbone as participants I think of them as you know creators and revel- and, and originators and 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 What what would you say about that? What do you think of that definition? Well, I mean, the thing about Wikipedia is anybody can write up there. So, you know. Right. um, You know, these aren't necessarily like the most skilled linguists, you know? Yeah. Um, But, I mean, I would say that like, Anybody who told me that they were an Afropunk, I would probably giggle to myself, you know, <laughs> because it's like, you know, it's, that's like saying you're a Coachella, you know? <laughs> right, right. You know, it's like, you know, I, I'm an Essence Fest, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. what are you talking about? I'm a, I'm a South by Southwest, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, like you're, you're a person who goes to a festival, you know? You're a person who like reads a website. It's not um, it's not a community. Their website doesn't even have a community board anymore. You know, there's no room for community. Um, and I and I have I, you know and I've I've taken a, a you know unofficial poll and it could you know and I could totally be uh, refuted here and and I would be okay with it, but. I've asked people, you know, when they go to the, the Afropunk Fest, do they feel like they leave with community? And um, overwhelmingly, I, I mean, not even overwhelmingly, the, the answer has always been no. 
um, they may feel good. They may leave with like, uh, whether they leave with a good feeling or a bad feeling, they're not leaving with a new family, you know? And, and, and that's what a scene does for you. That's, that's what, that's what the punk scene did for me. You know, um, when you go to a, a, a once a year event, like, you know, like you go with your friends, you have a good time. That's totally fine. You might buy some stuff. You might, whatever. But it's it's not it's not a movement and it's not a community. Yeah. So, so therefore, where's the identity? You know, it's just a it's just a party. It's just it's you know, the the people who put it together don't care about you. Right. You know. Right. Um, and 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 that that's like. That that that's just an important under thing to understand, you know. Like I say this uh, a lot, and it's just, it's that Apple Punk has value. It just doesn't have punk value, and there is a. It's important to know the difference. And what is the difference in your? How would you define the difference? Well, it's everything I just said. I mean, yeah. it's about it's about people first. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like going to when when you're part of the punk scene or the hardcore scene. Going to these shows, it's almost like the bands are secondary. Like, you're going because everybody loves this band and you want to sing along and you want to dance and all the things that you do, anyone goes to a concert for. But unlike your standard concert, like, you're there to be part of something that's like, you're there to hang out at, at the back and look at the zine tables. You're there to like play Foursquare in one corner. You're there to like have a political argument. You're there to like um, make new friends to, to like meet a boy or a girl. Like there's any number of things that you're doing in that space besides just watching the band. Right. And, and you know, if you took the band away, like it would it would still be it, it would it's it would, there would be tons of things for us to do you know what i'm saying like right. we would still have if if all of a sudden the, the pa blew out and there was no vocals or there was no electricity but it, the lights were on like the kids would still have fun they wouldn't go home right you know right and that's that is what um that's what a scene is about you know and that's what that's because this is a community this is their identity you know this yeah. is their own little village, you know. That that isn't what happens in um, in something that's like you know a website that's sole purpose is to get you to go to this festival and spend your money, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so you just screened this film in Detroit uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, or last last weekend couple weekends ago. Um, mm-hmm. So clearly this film is still making the rounds and doing screenings. Uh, if there's someone out there who would like to see the film, what would you recommend? Is there a, is there a, 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 a site that you'd like them to go to? Or um, what would you recommend they do? Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to just, like, watch the movie, um, it's like... It's been bootlegged several times, like on the internet. So you can go to YouTube, or you can, you know, you can find it. Um, it might not be the best quality, but it's it. You know, you can you can watch it. Um, you can attest to the quality. You just 
probably watched it. Um, and then, um, like, the DVDs are kind of hard to come by. I've seen them for $30. I've seen them for $300. You know, they're just, like, um, right. what's what's left in the, you know, Amazon or eBay or whatever. Right. Um, you know, or you can um, put on a screening yourself, and you can just contact me through um, afropunkfilm.com. Uh, that's important, afropunkfilm.com. And you can... Um, you can contact me and we can like set up a, you know, an event where either it screens by itself or, or, you know, I can attend or whatever. And do you have screenings coming up? Yeah, I actually have um, a few every month for the next few months. So um, in, in February, there's, uh, there's Seattle and Tacoma. And in, I feel like March is Texas, and um, I think that's in San Antonio, and I'm working on some other things there. And then um, April is in New York State, and I think there might be a New York City one coming. So it's, you know, like, it's happening. It's like just, you can just check my, that website, afropunkfilm.com, and at the bottom of the homepage, there's a calendar. Um, with upcoming screenings. Okay, okay, and I'll and I'll add the website uh, in the notes for this, so people can 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 link to it if they'd like. Much appreciated. Um, well, thank you, James. I want I want really want to thank you for doing this. It's just been a very uh, fascinating conversation, and I really enjoyed the film. Right on. Thank you. Uh, so thank you for, for talking to me about this. Uh, do you have any last words on, that you'd like to share about the film or the, your experience making it? Um, well, I guess the overwhelming uh, takeaway I'm hoping is that, like, that, you know, there is a, there is a true meaning of punk rock that, that comes with, from community and, and the DIY uh, scene. And... Um, as I mentioned in the beginning of this uh, interview, I am working on a graphic novel that um, in a lot of ways is um, is a love letter to punk and um, and is uh, talking about like how I how I found the uh, the DIY scene, the true uh, message of punk rock. Um, so that's in progress and you can, check out my progress um, on uh, Instagram at Spooners No Fun or um, on the internet at SpoonersNoFun.com. Wonderful. And just last bit, are there any uh, punk bands that you'd like to to throw out there in case people are interested in, in listening to something that maybe they're unfamiliar with or don't know about? Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, um, two bands that I've been listening to a lot for the last uh, couple years, actually, they're um, have Latino singers, but um, one is uh, on the East Coast, East Coast, the Downtown Boys, great, and it's, uh, actually, both of these are female vocalists, um, but Liverpool, like, they really exemplify everything that, like, punk rock is to me, and then... Um, there's a West Coast band I really like called The Tissues. Um, but it might just be called Tissues. I don't know if that is part of it. 
but um, they're really awesome. I mean, there's really no shortage. It's like it, it's hard to to pin down um, one in, you know one or two in particular. But those those are bands that I was just listening listening to today. So <laughs> thought I'd mention them. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you very much uh, for doing this, and uh, uh, I hope you have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Thank you.